This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to the Gaggle Podcast, where we bring you inside the newsroom to talk Arizona politics beyond what's in print. I'm Michael Squires, the politics editor at the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. And joining me at our Arizona Capitol Bureau this week are... Dustin Gardner, I cover the state legislature. Ron Hansen, I cover the congressional delegation. Lily Altavina, I cover the cities of Mesa and Gilbert. This week on The Gaggle, Kimberly Yee shakes up the treasurer's race, and Mesa Mayor John Giles is facing a backlash after his thoughts about President Trump were caught on a hot mic. But we start with Congressman Raul Grijalva and word he paid settlement to an individual he worked with for a few months in 2015. This was paid from a House committee budget and wasn't made public until the Washington Times reported it. Ron, he's saying it's not a sexual harassment claim. What is he saying about this settlement? Not very much. Uh, There's a non-disclosure agreement that was signed as part of this settlement. And so they are pretty hemmed in in terms of what they can talk about involving the substantive allegations in this matter. Um, and essentially, they, they really don't want this to be confused as sexual harassment. There were no allegations to that effect, and, and the agreement um, and the settlement were also uh, clear that if there had been something along those lines, the, the uh, accuser could pursue that in other channels, and that has not happened. That much the congressman has been uh, pretty clear on. But in terms of what it does revolve around is something uh, alleging uh, repeated drunkenness, according to the accuser, and uh, a hostile work environment. And these are um, qualities and allegations that the uh, that the congressman has denied. Generically, he can't speak to the specific incidents involving uh, this allegation, though. So she's she's part of works with him related to that committee. It's not clear if she's committee staff or she's a direct report to him either, correct? Correct. We know that she got about $48,000 uh, for this settlement. That was about five months' pay. You can do the math and see that she was a relatively senior-level uh, worker, but uh, her her relationship and how closely she worked with uh, Raul Grijalva is uh, still not completely clear. Um, and the time frame of this is not completely clear. This agreement was reached in 2015, but uh, it could have played out in 2014. And, uh, you know, we just don't know uh, what other history may be in play here. So the backdrop here is really important in that uh, there are allegations of sexual harassment against John Conyers, Al Franken, and and then talk of there being payments sort of similar to this, where they were kept secret because they were paid out of either budgets, committee budgets, or this fund that, that Congress has to pay these settlements. Is there any push to, for that to be more transparent? Yeah. In fact, uh, there's been a push by none other than Roel Grijalva to make some of these sexual harassment cases more transparent and, and let the public know more about what was going on in that. Uh, what's interesting is that uh, Mr. Grijalva also, however, 
wanted to make um, that sort of stop, that transparency stop with non-harassment kinds of cases, which would include the, the one that he is involved with, as it turns out. Um, th there are a number of people in many walks of life who want to see more transparency on this, uh, especially in Washington. It, it's becoming clearer that there are many ways for these kinds of claims to be resolved and taken care of and money to uh, change hands. And, and the process and the outcome is far from anything approaching transparency at this point. And um, I think this is one area of possible bipartisan agreement that we need to see better outcomes and, and better transparency. So, Dustin, you've been covering uh, a lot of the allegations of sexual harassment in the legislature and the steps that they've taken to try to ha provide a transparent process to address this. As you look at, at this Grijalva uh, case, does it look like it will be handled quite differently under the system that the that uh, J.D. Mesnar wants to put in place in the legislature? Yeah, it seems that way. Um, the, the legislature just adopted its first, or the House and um, the legislature just um, introduced its first sexual harassment policy. And it looks from that process that it's it's going to be a fairly transparent process just in terms of when an allegation's made. It'll be vetted by um, legal counsel. And then if there's going to be any sort of discipline, that would um, presumably have to go before the House for some sort of vote. Um, so it seems to be much more transparent. So with these things, there's always like a, a lot of intense interest when it's like, oh, who, who's being accused and what's the specific allegation? Of course, the, the, the details can be telling. But when you get into this, like, how do you how do you put policies in place to prevent this from happening? It seems like interest tends to like wane pretty quickly. Uh, what do you think, Ron? Is this is this something that they're going to see through to a satisfactory uh a conclusion here? Well, I'm not sure who they is. If you're talking about well, in the Congress. legislature, clearly they're they're taking some preliminary steps, and we'll see how transparent it, it turns out to be. Uh, as Congress goes, I, I think, again, there's, there's an interest and in, in some bipartisan agreement. It seems that we need to see better, and we need to be more clear about what has happened, getting down to the specifics and how far that goes and what to do about the cases that are unfolding now. Uh, is where it seems to fall apart. And uh, there, there is uh, some uh, efforts afoot to try and bring in some harassment uh, training and greater awareness in Congress as well. There are a number of sponsors to, those, uh, to at least one of those measures, but um, it's not clear how far-reaching it will be and, and what it will mean for any of the people involved in the cases that we already know about. Um, We've seen Democrats uh, sort of circle the wagons with John Conyers and Al Franken to some extent, and it's not clear if others will be outed in, in the near term that would, you know, again, cast this in a partisan light. Uh, it just feels like with everything that is in front of Congress at the moment, from passing a budget resolution to keep the lights on to passing tax reforms, uh, this is something that is on the menu, but it's not nearly the top of it. And I think that uh, given the way Washington seems to be working these days, uh, this won't be uh, priority one.
Okay, so Ron, like the big the big uh, legislation moving in Congress is the Republican tax plan, and as it is in the Senate, it looks like uh, Senators Flake and McCain could be key votes either for or against that. Um, I think the New York Times was, as they were going down the list, identifying McCain as the key vote. Uh, how do you see it playing out? Um, I think that's not a bad read on it. it. It's still not totally clear how the votes will line up um, with Flake and McCain, uh, in part because they the the bills that have been uh, moving through the House and the Senate have shifted a lot. Uh, the Senate bill, the language seems to be changing, um, and it seems to have uh, won over the support of some of the holdouts, uh, including Bob Corker and uh, Ron Johnson, this is something that may make uh, more of an academic um, uh, matter of whether John McCain ultimately comes down in support of this or not. Uh, but the margins are so tight that if there were three that find any reason not to like this, it could fall apart. And uh, McCain has been sort of uh, cagey about where he's at on this. There are a lot of different reasons based on his earlier voting in the Bush era uh, to his more recent remarks on the way that this process has played out, especially as we saw with health care. So there's plenty of room for McCain to bail out on this if he wants to. Um, but it's also something that is sort of goes to your core identity as a Republican in some ways to be supportive of tax cutting uh, in the generic sense. So it, you could see McCain sort of going there either way. And given his mavericky reputation, uh, it wouldn't shock me uh, if, you know, how he votes. With Flake, I think it's a, it's a tougher thing. I mean, he has sketched out some very specific concerns about its effect on the debt. And um, I think the, the triggers that have been talked about that seem to be uh, placating uh, some members it's unclear whether Flake at this point is going to find that satisfactory or not. But the fact is we're talking about some negative number, some impact in increasing debt. And whether that is going to be something that is insurmountable for Jeff Flake, it will know in short order. What makes it interesting really for both of them is that they are both not expected to have any long-term future in the Senate. So they're free to do what they want. So is it fair to sort of boil down the the tension here like like you say just the broad tax cut aspect of this bill on one end of that and then the fact that it adds 1.5 1.7 or above trillion dollars to the national debt on the other end is that is that a fair assessment is it like if you're if you're coming down if you're flake or mccain looking at this you're saying okay i like tax cuts but i don't like the debt or yeah i think that seems fair um again with McCain, he sketched out some other things, and as always, everything with McCain is always uh, more complicated. But yeah, I, I think in the end, this comes down to uh, a party that is in desperate need of getting some legislative points on the board. This is something that they believe in strongly in terms of their party identity to begin with, that cutting taxes, especially cutting taxes on businesses, is seen as something that is self-evidently the right course to take. Its impact on the debt is somewhat speculative because uh, conservatives think that this will spur growth in the economy that will minimize its negative impact on the debt. And so in a sense, this comes down to how strongly you believe in that. Um, again, with Jeff Flake, this is something that 
he has staked out more of a uh, a you know fiscal hawk kind of uh, profile throughout his Senate career. This is uh, going in a direction that is going to be pretty hard to talk around that he supported adding this much debt to the pile after you know picking nits over fairly small bore matters throughout his House and Senate career on you know for example science research and and complaining about millions of dollars being wasted. Now here he is throwing more than a trillion into the pile. Dustin, Kimberly Yee is running for treasurer, and she's making for an interesting Republican primary. Who's the other candidate in that race? So the other candidate who declared more than a year ahead of her um, is Corporation Commission Chairman uh, Tom Ferris. He it was it was no surprise that Senator Yee jumped in. Um, that's been widely expected for months. Uh, but I think now that she's in, we're going to see this get turned into a much uglier primary. So the reason that's not a, very surprising is because Jeff DeWitt, the current treasurer, had an event where he gave her uh, a bowling trophy and. <laughs> Called her the greatest public servant in the state or something to that effect, right? Yeah, I mean, he essentially endorsed her earlier this fall. He called a press conference and he gave out a, an award called the the Friend of the of the State Treasurer's Office Award. This is an award that had never been given before, a first of its kind award. Um, and at the press conference where uh, Treasurer DeWitt handed that to Senator Yee, he, you know, I guess, kind of went out of his way to say that if she were a candidate for treasurer, he would certainly endorse her if that ever occurred. Um, so obviously, you know, when she, when she announced this week, he endorsed her. And at that same press conference, DeWitt um, took quite a few swings at Faris. He invented a nickname in very Trumpian fashion, calling him Sleazy Faris. So that uh, Friend of the Treasurer Award, I hear it comes with the $50 Cold Stone gift card just, uh, just, <laughs> just so you're aware um so so these this these allegations being thrown back and forth they, they strike me as, as odd he's saying stop saying that i'm under investigation for the fbi which i don't think anyone publicly knew i mean I, we've never reported her saying that and that's certainly something that would get reported if it were said publicly where is that coming from? Yeah, so Farise's attorney earlier this month sent Senator Yee a, a, a cease and desist letter saying that she needs to stop falsely claiming that he's being investigated by the FBI. The letter doesn't say when, where, or to whom she said the, these things. Um, and, you know, and, and Yee's response has been that um, – her attorney's response has been that you know she never flat out said he's under investigation. Uh, she hasn't said it unequivocally. She has speculated that he could be part of um, a broader FBI investigation looking at dark money in the 2014 statewide elections. Um, so she speculated about the scope but had never specifically – you know, said that she knew for a fact he was under investigation. Yeah, well, we do know that members of the Corporation Commission are and have been indicted uh, as part of an FBI probe. Is that is that what she's alluding to in that, do you think? You know, it's really not clear. So we had a former member of the Corporation Commission being indicted, and then, you know, then there's been talk about um, there being a broader FBI investigation and, and, and that those indictments came out of that, the, you know, the, the indictments related to the bribery scandal. Um, and, you know, so it's really just unclear if, if what exactly the broader investigation is about. Um, prior to those indictments, it had been reported and widely talked about that there was some form of an FBI investigation looking at dark money in the 2014 statewide elections. So I guess the implication is that that 
those two are linked, but we don't know that for a fact. Um, but, you know, it's long been talked about that um, Faris was one of the recipients of a large amount of dark money in the 2014 election and money that many widely believe is coming from APS, the utility. So uh, the quote you had from her is uh, in the story about her announcement. It's important that we have a state treasurer that we can trust. It matters who's watching our money. I always love those kind of campaigns where it's like, you know, it's important we have a treasurer who's not out knocking people's mailboxes down with baseball bats, you know. I'm not saying he does. I'm just saying it's important that we have that kind of treasure. Um, is um, how much of how much interest do you think there is going to be in this race? I mean, the treasurer is typically not very high profile. Doug Ducey, of course, was treasurer before he became governor. Many see it as that sort of stepping stone. Is that the primary interest you think these two individuals have? Or is this like going to be their last job in politics? Yeah, no, I think it certainly is seen as a stepping stone. You know, there are been a lot of prominent politicians that have come through the governor or sorry the treasurer's office or the secretary of state's office in Arizona so it, you know it is prominent in that sense and it's a statewide office that certainly pays more than um, a job in the state legislature um, and he has certainly been seen as a rising star so I don't think it'd be a surprise that she sees it as a stepping stone and for East, you know, very likely could see it that way too. So Faris, people are probably a little more familiar with him because he was elected to a statewide office on the Corporation Commission. Can you get a little bit into, uh, before we leave this into Kimberly Yee's bio? Yeah, sure. I mean, like I said, I think a lot of Republicans have sort of seen her as a rising star for the party. She uh, first joined the legislature in 2010, uh, was a member of the House, moved over to the Senate, and she's now the Senate Majority Leader. Um, when she was elected to the legislature, she was the first Asian-American woman ever elected to the state legislature in Arizona. Um, and prior to her career in uh, public office, she wor- had a career in public policymaking. She was a staffer at the legislature. She was a member of the cabinet um, in Arnold Schwarzenegger's cabinet in uh, California when he was governor there. Um, and she's even gotten you know attention nationally. Last year, she was one of the few Arizonans who spoke on stage at the Republican National Convention. So, Lily, um, I get to use one of my favorite terms in politics, and that's Kinsley gaffe, named for uh, the great columnist Michael Kinsley, who said, a gaffe is when a politician tells the truth, some obvious truth he isn't supposed to say. And that's what Mesa Mayor... John Giles did in a hot mic, right? What happened? Yeah, so so Giles was speaking to Senator Jeff Flake after an aerospace event. Aerospace is really big in Mesa. It was at an aerospace company. Uh, and Flake is caught on the hot mic saying something like, you know, if, if we become the party of Roy Moore and Donald Trump, we're toast. And then Giles, who is the mayor of Mesa, often called the reddest city in America, the most conservative city in America, have been sort of earlier egging Flake on to run for president, uh, calls him an idiot, calls Trump an idiot, um, appears to call Trump an idiot. Uh, And on Twitter, on Facebook, on email, he got a lot of vitriol. People were throwing the snake emoji at him, which Taylor Swift is acutely familiar with. Um, In his email, he had about 41 emails. Most of them were negative. His spokeswoman told me he had 18 voicemails. All were negative. Somebody with the subject line, Dear Mayor Dumbass, said that they wish that the mayor of Mesa would die a slow, painful death of testicular cancer. Others called him a Republican in name only, also known as a rhino. 
a traitor. The list goes on and on of what Giles was called, which was probably a bit of a surprise for somebody who hasn't taken this quite uh, quite as much this criticism. Probably not a surprise for Jeff Flake, who's been a long-held critic of Donald Trump. So uh, before we move on to my next question, the snake emoji, I guess I'm unfamiliar with uh, being not being a millennial. What's the uh, what's that? After Taylor Swift sort of got called out by Kim Kardashian uh, and the whole Kim Kardashian, Taylor Swift <laughs> universe, a lot of people, a lot of Kim Kardashian and Kanye's fans trolled her with the snake emoji. So her entire Instagram feed was snake, 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 snake. And then she built her entire new album around the snake, essentially. Wow. So uh, I, I have to compliment you on the, on the way you played this story. I went, when I first saw, saw these stories coming out, I was like, Jeff Flake criticizes Donald Trump. You know, he says into a hot mic what he said publicly, you know, for, for and written a book on. Uh, that came out in August uh, criticizing President Trump. I thought that was ridiculous. But but like you say, for for a mayor of a very conservative city, this can be a completely different thing. The d- dynamic's quite different. Uh, Flake, like you say, is, has kind of felt the, the heat from Trump's supporters. What impact do you see this having uh, on uh, John Giles? Does he have loftier political ambitions that are that are known uh, where, where if he's like, going to run in a Republican primary, that segment is going to say this is someone we're going to get, uh, you know, we're going to oppose. Not that I know of. Um, and, and I'll continue to keep asking him that. In his statement, he, he his apology seemed to be mostly based on the people of Mesa. He didn't really directly apologize to the president of the United States. He apologized to the voters if if that had insulted him, essentially, or if that had insulted them, essentially. But he didn't apologize to the president of the United States for calling him an idiot. He apologized to the voters, and he hoped that the people of Mesa would have sort of the foresight to look beyond this. Is it, you say he's getting a lot of reaction, is it having any other sort of apparent impact on the day-to-day business? Not that I know of. Um, I was at a groundbreaking yesterday where, where he was happy, he was speaking, he, you know, he was laughing. I, I don't think he's too much affected by the hate. And after our story came out, actually, which had gone on to talk about civil discourse and how, you know, one expert says that's declining in America and it all started with the election. Um, a lot of people emailed Mayor Giles and said, hey, we support you. Thank you for saying that. A lot of people thought that he was speaking the truth. People who identify as conservative, people who included their full names email addresses, phone numbers, and their addresses in Mesa. Interesting. So, Ron, uh, about this, him encouraging Flake to run for president, that's not the first time I've heard someone say that. And, you know, it was idle speculation, but I did hear people speculating, well, maybe he's not going to, you know, run this time because he wants to run for president. What what have you heard on that front? Anything? Jeff Flake, since he really has sort of planted the flag of Republican opposition to the Trump administration and to Donald Trump's political style, I think... He's become this stand-in on the right for those who want to see some alternative. And so his name has floated a lot for that sort of thing. But, uh, you know, in, in terms of making it actually happen, I, I don't know that there's any move really to, to do that at this point. I think he's he's got weightier matters right in front of him, not the least of which is the tax cut package that we were talking about earlier. And then everything else that he's got to try and sort out in the, in the next year as he... Uh, uh, will wind down his Senate career. So he's got, he's young enough that he clearly still has some political future, at least possible. Um, and in his speech announcing his retirement from the Senate, he really got into the idea that um, 
we need to move past this this moment in politics for people like him to even have a future. And I think that that is something that you know any any move by him to run for office is an effort to try and bring that moment uh, upon us more quickly. So for our final segment, Lily, what's on your radar for this week? We're looking at budget cuts in the city of Mesa, how that's affecting things like public safety, what, what's happening on the ground. How, how big a cut are they expecting to take? Well, last year they took a pretty big cut and they're continuing to take cuts because they're paying into public safety retirement and they need to continue to pay for public safety retirement in the next 25 years. Uh, so things like the fire department is trying to get creative, trying to sponsor messages on the sides of fire trucks and fees for using certain services, all that kind of stuff is is coming down the hopper in Mesa, Arizona. Ron? I want to see how uh, John McCain and Jeff Flake vote on the uh, the tax cut legislation in the Senate. I think what's really important about this is, apart from the substantive legislation itself, is what this says about their opposition to Donald Trump stylistically and, and how willing they will be to continue to uh, buck the tide with other Republicans. Uh, they have both spoken at times uh, quite eloquently and forcefully about the need to stand up. Uh, we'll see if they choose this moment to do that. Dustin. Yeah, there's been an interesting twist with the sexual harassment investigation in the state house. Um, I guess you could say sexual misconduct investigation in the state house. We learned this week that Speaker J.D. Mesnard has approved, um, I guess, funding to cover the legal costs for those who are um, being part of the, who are under investigation and who, are, who have made accusations. Um, so we're going to, I'm going to take a look and see what the reaction is to that. That's it for today. Thank you for listening to the Gaggle podcast. You can find me on Twitter at MG Squires. I'm at Dustin Gardner, Gardner with an I. You can follow me at Ronald J. Hansen, and that's H-A-N-S-E-N. At Lily Alta, and Lily is L-I-L-Y. Thanks to the politics team. Our production team is Jojo Huckaba and Haley Sanchez. Please subscribe to the show and review it on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or Google Play. See you next week.